I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another year. The AFLW season is just days away and with a new season, we are rumbling with some new challenges. COVID is chasing us all down harder and faster than Ebony Marinoff in a grand final on a wing. My name is Emma Race and I am delighted to be joined by my football-loving feminist folk. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, it is Lucy Race here. Hi, Nicole Hayes here. It's a funny thing when you've got a team of 10 and yet (laughs) they are falling by the wayside. We've got a new baby in the Sanctum crew, people on holidays, people in ISO, and to be honest, we need some train-on players. I reckon we need to double our squad. So out of 10 possibilities, you've just got three of us today. And I think that that kind of speaks to what's happening, what the climate is like. It boggles the mind that we are here in the first week of the year. Firstly, that is a challenge. Swatting away unknowns and anxieties and concerns when we should be punching the air and filling out eskies and unfurling our footy scarves. Lucy, how are you feeling? To be honest, I'm feeling a little discombobulated like a bird in a solar eclipse <laughs> that it's the first week of January. Normally I would have sand between my toes, but I'm dragging my brain from beachside reading back into football. And I think the other emotion is honestly a bit of anxiety. Like many other people around the country and around the world, I'm trying to navigate close contact situations and find rapid antigen tests. And I'm unsure what my day looks like from hour to hour, really, just depending on on what people's situations are. And so that's the reality of where I am. Nicole, what about you? You've got a big family, you've got family challenges as well, plus um, ducking and weaving all of this COVID nonsense. How are you feeling? I'm taking heart in the fact that I'm still here, that we're all still here, that we're mostly functional, which is kind of extraordinary, I think, given what's been thrown at all of us at different points. Between the, the Outer Sanctum family, we've all got a lot of stuff going on. But isn't that 2022 and 2020 and 2021? <laughs> It's just maybe the new normal. And I look, I'm becoming really resilient. That, that has to be good, right? <laughs> and I'm to. taking out of it. But confusion, uncertainty, and just at that 
readiness to flex, to respond to whatever's thrown at us, which I think is very relevant to our conversation today. I agree. I think everything that we're facing is what the players are facing, what the administrators and the coaches are facing as well. I alluded to the fact that there's a new Sanctum baby. We want to just send the heartiest of congratulations to Julia Kiera, who has a new baby called Baby Bonnie, who joined us very, very recently. I think that's probably the happiest thing that could have possibly popped up as news when we've all been sitting and scrolling and waiting for, for news from our families on, on how they're all doing. So that was a, a little seasonal gift that has just been a delight and we wish Julia and her family just all the very best. Are you guys ready to roll up your sleeves in melee? Let's do it. Always. So the story is really the COVID story. In the time that we've not been podcasting, in the time that we've been in a break, there has been quite a big plan laid out for women's football. And we are going to come back around and have that conversation, hopefully in a roundtable setting with some people from the competition committee and Nicole Livingston. And we're looking forward to bringing that to you. But in the meantime, the most pressing thing is, of course, the COVID, uh, I guess you would call it just the numbers of COVID cases that are rapidly on the rise throughout Australia at the moment. And the very thought that we're going to encourage people to get together and play sport against each other, we've seen it's impacted the cricket, both the BBL and the Test cricket, and we're seeing some concerns through the A-League, also reports through tennis. It is naive of us to think that AFLW will not be affected by this. What do we know so far? We've just come out of the AFLW launch and there was a bit of information shared there, Nicole. Yeah, it was a really good launch, actually. I mean, in the middle of everything, I think the first thing we have to do too is recognise what a great job AFL and AFLW did with last season. I mean, the fact that they managed that the way that they did and it does give me hope for what's potentially a more disruptive season because of the Omicron making everything far more unpredictable but it was a really positive environment a a good vibe generally Nicole Livingston stressed they are very determined and committed to providing a complete season which of course is you know uppermost in our minds too there is some room for rescheduling or postponing of matches if necessary although they were a bit vague on the on the details there but the focus is to manage player welfare to make sure that clubs and teams are well supported there seems to be all the, the right conversations and as much preparation with backups and and the like as one can do in this current environment um, there's only so many contingencies you can factor in I think what we took out of it was um, a real readiness to to make sure that this season happens so fingers crossed round one kicks off without any more disruptions the other thing that that came out of it too is just a li- separate from COVID but a delightful uh, development is the uh, Lisa Hardman's book was named as the cup ambassador and of course everyone will know Lisa from all of the work she's done as a player as a coach as a competition administrator and just a champion of women's football for so long and as one of the names on the um, Hampson Hardeman Cup which is also in contest this round one too so a really worthy and delightful ambassador that we can all get behind. I am absolutely loving how much homage the AFL is paying pioneers we've heard that word in all of the touch points that we've had with the AFL and all the information that they have been releasing I think that it's a concerted effort and I think it's a really important one and I think that it really pays a, a respect where it's where it's due and and this is just another kind of cherry on top for that moment Lucy yesterday there was an article released by Lauren Wood who is a very welcome name back into the footy landscape we missed her last year when she was out with in brackets, baby. (laughs) We welcome Lauren back and we congratulate her on the birth of her child. She released an article yesterday that had 
kind of outlined a whole lot of information that I think is pertinent. Okay, so what we did learn is that the players and clubs will be PCR tested prior to games, but that will not be impacting on the community systems of testing. So that's something that happens privately. But the AFL will not be putting strict biosecurity measures in place in the way that it did for the men's competition. And it's really going to be up to players and clubs to try and minimise COVID risks. That's due mostly because of the part-time nature of this group of athletes. So if teams are impacted by COVID through infections or isolation, they need to have 16 players from the primary list plus five train-on players available for the game to proceed. As Nick mentioned, the AFL is really committed to getting a premier. The clubs can have 10 train-on players in reserve, which means there's a list of 30. One of the things I picked up from Nick Livingston at the launch was that I guess a a way of looking at COVID similar to the way that you'd look at an injury or any other kind of illness, that it's, it's really just something that clubs and players are going to have to manage. It was interesting. Yesterday, there was also an article released by Libby Birch, which was beautifully written. I think it was Libby's first article for The Age, and it was uh, it was titled Part-Time Players' Full-Time Responsibility COVID-19 is Stretching the Playing Group was kind of the concept around it. And she makes the point that it's going to be people, it's going to be the teams that can keep people on the park that are going to succeed this year. And Daisy Pierce said as much at the launch as well when asked how important it's going to be and how much it's going to affect the competition. She said, I think it will be the biggest thing that affects the competition and defines the winner. What Libby talked about in her article from her perspective as a player for Melbourne is that they're all making their decisions themselves as a playing group. They're deciding, are we going to cafes or are we going to always make sure that we're sitting outside? But you think about the impact on that on families and we know that rapid antigen tests are not available readily available at the moment and there's a price increase with them as well it's becoming the challenge of our day are we asking too much of the players are we asking too much of the players families I mean we've had this conversation before about the way that the AFLW players pick up the mantle they hold the legacy they carry the cost how when does the cost get too great do either of you think that we should have called the season off already Lucy? I don't know how I would answer that question. So I'm going to put that one to one side. But in terms of what we're asking of athletes, I think that it is more complex and we are asking them to make more sacrifices. And I think we're also putting more responsibility on the players as individuals to make it work. And I think that that's a theme that's been across a whole lot of other aspects of being a part-time athlete and we're seeing it happen again here it's part of the system within which they play my concern is that we already know that there are complicated feelings and issues around COVID for many people there are feelings of shame where there shouldn't be but there are emotional overlays I think in this particular illness that I worry about what that would mean if a player felt responsible for preventing their team getting on the track or something like that. I think those sorts of things are like just I don't even know how to quantify those outcomes but they're real and they're happening all of the time and we can't really predict it. The sense of obligation to each other which is such an important part of the team experience is also as you say a burden. You know the guilt you might feel if you were potentially infected other teammates or family members or the responsibility on family members to also perhaps curb their activities as well. And that's without even thinking about 
the long COVID possibilities, which is a conversation we all need to have and isn't being had properly in in the mainstream media at all. There are already people now suffering it because we've had COVID long enough to have long COVID. But who knows with this sort of widespread increase given the Omicron development, you know, if that's going to be a factor too. The psychological and ongoing kind of emotional well-being of players, I, I really hope that that's something that the AFL and clubs can actively prepare themselves for. It's absolutely going to be a part of player management. It isn't an injury like other injuries you know, they're, they're probably comparable ones, but certainly not in the same way. Generally speaking, you hurt yourself. There's no real likelihood you're going to hurt anybody else as a result of just having that injury. This is very different. There's great um, widespread and ongoing repercussions. And, you know, in a season, the next season, you could still have players who have, were struck down, potentially being affected out of the blue, you know, with long-term fatigue and all of those unpredictable factors. So, you know, I don't think we've even touched the surface of, of what's ahead. Uh, and I really hope that there's support for players and clubs in order, you know, going forward and ongoing. I'd like to come back to your question, Emma, about whether the season should be going ahead because I want to be really excited about this competition and I want to be looking forward to which games I'm going to this weekend. But I actually wonder how many people are feeling comfortable about going along and standing in the outer right now, you know, whether that as an individual or whether you're considering what the potential impact could then be on your family or the community or on the health system. I think it's it's quite real. What do you think? It's such an interesting one because we haven't had the conversation yet about how we protect people in the outer. You know, it's really interesting because there was an AFLW ad that launched and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. There was flame, there was some <laughs> kind of flamethrower. <laughs> there was a beautiful energy. It, it felt like they got the tone just so beautifully right. Awesome soundtrack. Big kids, little kids, men, women, you know, it was just a, a beautiful ad and it really hyped me up for the season. I felt like it was the it was the amuse bouche that we deserved <laughs> for AFLW. Then re-looking at it last night, I realized it's already dated because you know it says get to a game basically is saying you know get make sure you're there which I'm, I'm not sure that that's a public health message that we want to encourage just yet and and you know we are the queens of asking people to make sure that they get to a game and the other thing was you know there's a scene with a player going from working in the hospital to running out on the field and I think that they're two really different landscapes at the moment and yes that's the superpower of these amazing incredible athletes who perform both of these duties and live these dual lives because they're not professional players yet and we can't hub them and they have to do two jobs but it's also the potential downfall of the competition because we can't hub them and because they have these other responsibilities and these other parts of their lives. Nicole? I think one of the other unique elements of AFLW that is not typical in the AFLM competition is the fact that you have players who are not teammates in the same household often. There are roommates. And so a, a problem for one club can become a problem across other clubs just because, you know, they're, they're roommates and, you know, they've got friendships outside, which is not very common in the in the AFLM. They often have teams that, um, teammates that 
room together. Um, so that's one factor. But then we keep saying they can't hub, and yet Western Australian teams are going to have to hub effectively for the first yeah. month at least. And so that is being asked of players who are still effectively part-time. And it is as a consequence of the WA government's um, change in border requirements. But whether that's something that we can keep doing or sustain and whether it is going to be the next stage in order to protect the competition, I don't know. But, yeah, it's a big ask for players who have lives outside of the game. Flipping forward and it's hard to see at the moment because we're all just dealing with the day-to-day, but imagine when the AFL-M kicks off and then you've got two teams both going through the same venue at all times and the the protocols may not save them from catching it from each other. Just that num- sheer number of, and the volume of people that move through footy clubs when both teams are there and the importance of of the competitions to fulfill their obligations. It's a financial one in a lot of senses for so many people. I know that the AFL is really committed to making sure that there's two grand finals played and that we find premiers in both the men's and the women's, but I just can't see how, I can't quite imagine what that struggle is like. Nicole Livingston is juggling all of these issues that we've been talking about. We welcome her to the Outer Sanctum. How are you doing, Nicole? Uh, I'm doing very well, thank you, because it is AFLW time, so that makes everything okay. Your sunny disposition is actually of quite significant note because you must be pivoting and looking at some really creative responses to what's going down. What's the contingency like if a, if a team loses too many players to COVID? Well, I mean, our first and foremost want is to get the games away. So we've got the longest season ever, 10 home and aways and three weeks of finals. So clearly we have been keeping in touch and communicating with our clubs, with the AFLPA, and we have a policy for disrupted games. There's no doubt um, that this one's going to be bumpy uh, and it's the one of the three years of COVID that we've been dealing with. It's the one that we actually have, uh, apart from a couple of small periods where we had big numbers, we're going to be dealing with COVID week in, week out. You know, 16 on, on the field and five on the bench is what we're aiming for. And if we need to postpone a game because the clubs have uh, made an application because they can't field a team, then it's a case-by-case basis. We will endeavour to get all of those games done and yeah there will be scenarios planned for to be able to do that. Do you think that there'll be a moment where you'll have to extend the list of train on players and we could see names we've never even heard of running around in their first senior game? Well that'd be kind of strangely exciting wouldn't it because we've got season seven with 18 clubs coming so we need to find uh, more players so every club in the competition right now has 10 train on players that have been coming in once a week with the squad. Um, So there could be a situation where a train-on player does get elevated. Um, Clearly, we've got 30 on a list of AFLW clubs. So to get to 16 plus five and two emergencies, um, you know, we'd have to lose quite a few players. But in any decision that we've made, um, we've actually had a look at our injuries over the last couple of years, uh, games missed by players over the last couple of years. So we've not only factored in COVID, but we've also factored in injury. Um, So any uh, decision that we're making is actually backed by data. When you talk about data, I'm curious about the information that is coming through. It's really difficult at the moment because there's so much information. Obviously, the AFL works really closely with the government and you get those health messages that are coming. You know, I would imagine that you have daily briefings. There's an oh concern, I would imagine, with long COVID. We don't know what this strain of COVID looks like when we look down you know, in weeks and months. And 
my query is about what we think is a reasonable turnaround time for players who may contract this strain of COVID. We expect that they'll have to isolate for the seven days that the government says. Will it be safe for them to return to play straight away? Well, each and every one of those cases will be um, judged off an individual basis. And like an injury, they will have to have a medical clearance from their club. So um, those decisions and determinations will be made on a case-by-case basis. And what I will say is that no player will be pressured by the AFL, by clubs to come back before they're ready. Um, Because in everything that we do, player health and safety is is what we're concerned about. Then we kind of fold into the COVID side of things, player health and safety, our clubs and then the broader community. So um, no player will be pressured and we'll be looking at those case-by-case basis and they'll have to have a medical clearance to come back. What will happen if a coach goes out with COVID? Will we see an elevation? We could see assistant coaches. We could even see more women coaching because there's so many female assistant coaches. We might see Kirby Bentley taking over from Nathan Burke for a week. Would we see? Would we be able to see this? Is there some kind of formal process that needs to happen for someone else to to coach? So we're planning for any of those off-field roles that they can actually be replaced or they can be performed remotely. So um, if a coach does come out, you know, we're planning for what it could look like for them to coach remotely. But yeah, Half-time address on Zoom. <laughs> exactly right. So um, again, everything that we do, we're, we're talking about trying to protect everybody's health and safety. The role that's not replaceable is a player. So uh, then we start to look at the 10 train-ons that each club has had access to and then how that bolsters a list to be able to bring those players in. Again, yeah. that for expansion in 2023 or late 22 is actually an opportunity for more players to get more of an immersion into AFLW. Yeah, there's nothing like a COVID miracle to give someone an opportunity. When we're talking about keeping people safe, obviously the Outer Sanctum is incredibly concerned with people in the outer and even the AFLW campaign, which we absolutely loved, encourages people to get along to a game. Is that still the messaging that you want us to be promoting? Yeah, definitely about showing up, but there are some caveats clearly on that. Don't show up, stay at home and watch us on the tally or on your personal device If you are feeling unwell, if you are waiting for a result of a test, if you are positive, if you are a close contact, then don't come to the footy, but support us at home, cheer us on at home, jump onto either your screen or your TV and cheer your your club on. So yes, we want people to come, but we also want to make sure that people make very reasonable decisions in what they're doing. When we think about what would, you know, what would eventuate for a scenario where the AFL would have to pull the pin on the comp completely are you looking abroad to other sports and to other environments globally because it feels like we're all sharing the same problem at the moment how are you kind of thinking about that as a possibility well I would like to say that in no world that I would see us pull the pin completely you know that would have to be a very dire situation that we would have to pull the pin where we have catastrophic player unavailability I'm not thinking that that is actually so that's like a break glass scenario that I don't think we will get to you know we are planning as best we can to mitigate risk around our playing group and our our clubs you know things like charters our testing regime all of those are coming into play we can't remove all risk but we're going to do our best to mitigate 
mitigate as much risk as possible. Um, so I don't see a scenario where we pull the pin on the season. I think it's one of our biggest regrets from 2020 and hindsight is a wonderful gift, but that gift will play into 2022. It's going to be bumpy, it's going to be lumpy and there's going to be some difficulties in there. But everything that we are aiming for is to not only deliver our 10-week home and away, uh, but also our three weeks of finals and then crown a premier. It's really interesting to hear that messaging coming through so often that there is a regret there that there was no premier. And it's funny because at the time, I think we all understood it, but you're right. When we look in the rear vision mirror, there is so much that we're going to have been able to learn. Are you able in your leadership role to start compiling what you've been learning through this kind of dramatic time? Oh, very much so. And, and you know, you even look at uh, the introduction of Laura Kane to the AFL as GM of operations for football, um, you know, looking after AFLW and the AFL, you know, she's had the experience of, of delivering it from a club point of view and knowing the impact on players and clubs and everything that we do now is based on that experience. And this one's going to be a little different. It'll be a very unique year and it won't be like what was presented in 2020 or 2021. But because we've got the flying miles uh, under our belt or KMs, um, you know, we're able to actually use that experience to make um, not only measures decisions, but also scenario planning. The amount of scenario planning that has been going on, you know, and even leading in to practice matches where, you know, we had to uh, cancel out the practice match between GWS and, and the Crows, you know, although it wasn't best scenario for the Crows and GWS, we're actually pleased that we were able to figure out what that looked like and what the decision-making process was for it. So, you know, everything that we're doing, we are learning, we're putting it into the experience bank and that bank is actually really rich. And it's going to be really fun because you get to roll it out again at the end of this year, two seasons, well, three <laughs> seasons if you include AFLM. So you're going to have two AFLW seasons to roll out in one year. You're going to need yeah. a good Bex and a lie down after that. We wish you all the very best and I know that that there must be a lot of challenges. We're all facing them personally. And I, I follow you on Instagram. I, I know that you have a child overseas. That must be terrifying at times. Or your two yeah, children overseas. It must be terrifying. It is terrifying, but, you know, I've got two of them back home at the moment um, and, and both, you know, facing COVID positive. So, you know, it's in my household as well. It's everywhere. Um, yeah. So you just have to be resilient. You have to do as much as you can to protect yourself, your own family. And that extends to my football family as well. So everything that we do, we're, we're trying to protect our people and the broader community. Yeah, well, we have such a beautiful community around AFLW. I think everyone's really appreciative of the commitment that the AFL has to make sure that this season goes ahead to support these players so they don't miss their moment. Make sure you stay safe out there. One thing for you before we officially end this is what do you think of Lisa Hardiman being the AFL? Uh, it's fantastic. It's it's fantastic and it's such a great, you guys have done a really great job of saluting the pioneers and the grassroots movement that has been footy for women for such a long time. It's a beautiful inclusion. You haven't missed with the Cup Ambassadors. You've never missed with them. They've just been fantastic and what a great moment to be able to represent and honour someone who, you know, in their day-to-day life puts themselves on the line for all of all of the community but also has made such a huge impact over, over the journey and especially for the girls who are playing at the moment. You know, for, for people who are playing in this competition, this is an icon. This is someone who matters to them. So it's really yeah, it's nice joyful. to have this moment. It's joyful. I can see it in, in the eyes of everybody that's been involved in bringing AFLW to where it is now. So I'm really pleased and proud that Lisa is our Cup Ambassador. Can't wait to see her hand that cup out, even if we have to do a round robin on the nature strip (laughs) playing five aside. (laughs) Thanks very much, Nicole. Take care and um, Thanks. thanks for giving us some time today. No worries. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, let's get actually really excited about footy because one of the things that I was loving pre-Christmas, which was, you know, a whole 10 days ago or something (laughs) like that, was that there was practice matches on and I know that they don't always give you a sense of what's going on. In fact, some some of the games were a bit of a blowout, Lucy. I don't know how much you can take from practice matches sometimes because I think it's often where clubs are trying things out or playing players in new positions. It's also an opportunity for players who are new to the club to have a run around in a in a match scenario. But some of the results I thought that were interesting are the fact that West Coast defeated Fremantle. For the first time ever? Yes. So we do get a derby this weekend. Another one that I think is really interesting is that Brisbane defeated Gold Coast comprehensively by 61 points. And the thing that's interesting with Brisbane is that there hasn't been a lot of change. I think when I look at the clubs as we come up to round one, teams like Brisbane, teams like Melbourne just seem so stable. I think that Phoebe Monaghan moving from Richmond to Brisbane is just going to make them stronger. I mean, you, you lose Emma Zilke, that's, that feels massive, right? But then you look at the rest of the list, and obviously Lauren Arnell has retired, but then you look at the rest of the list and it just looks like the same incredible outfit and they've, they've probably had quite an uninterrupted preseason. Yeah, and they have, you know, Craig Stasevich still at the helm, which I think bodes well for stability. And we know how much the team love him and play well for him. And congrats to Bri- to Brianna Conan as the new captain replacing Emma Zilke, which is, um, you know, that's a, a great win for, for her. I think stability is what, what to look for with Brisbane. I am, you know, I know we're not moving into predictions yet, but the, there is something pretty amazing about their ability to hold their team together. But what my take out from a lot of practice matches, I have two kind of approaches. One of them is you only, if you look at the like the highlights and the features and the good stuff, you take that on board, but anything bad that happens, you just dismiss it. (laughs) I like that. And the other thing is, it's really interesting, I think, for the individual players. So to see them, it doesn't mean much for the season as a team because it's not about cohesiveness. It's not about, it's all about, as you say, experimentation. You throw players in different spots. But what's fun is seeing them have an opportunity perhaps to try something new or, you know, to have a, you might see Phoebe Williams kick her three goals or uh, like you see little standout performances. Emma Carney down at halfback uh, ran a muck down there, but, you know, she does, she runs a muck wherever she goes. But again, experimenting with different positions I think there's a lot of interesting things to take out of that from the individual player point of view I was enjoying that Brooke Walkout kicked what is potentially goal of the year but in a practice match which breaks your heart a little bit there was some very very shady vision of it but I enjoyed exactly what I saw Darcy Vessio looks like they get better every single season there's just no stopping Darcy. I'm excited about Georgie Presbarkus and Nina Morrison both in for Geelong I feel like Geelong might be this might be the season where, not a smoky, I don't think they'll play finals, but I, I feel like this might be where they start gaining some 
back. They really haven't had that much traction yet. I, I have some concerns about St Kilda. I feel like they're a little bit bereft, a little bit lost. Our our very favourite girl, Rosie Dillon, got some time in her legs during the practice match. She'd been injured. We love Rosie D, so good to see her back. But the other one that I'm looking out for, who I think is a bit of a smoky this year and will get a lot of votes, is Nell Morris-Dalton. I love watching her play. So I'm intrigued. I feel like Melbourne, Lucy, you're going to look <laughs> smug when I say this. I feel like Melbourne is very well poised and, and Nicole being a Brisbane girl, <laughs> I think Brisbane as well, really hard to beat. But North Melbourne, you can never, ever say die. And Collingwood too, I think, will be interesting. I think there's a lot, you know, with Sabrina down there, um, they've made some interesting changes and they had a good solid season last year so I think there's more to to build there I think there's a lot we can't predict about this season which is what I love about AFLW. One of the lovely things about practice matches is getting to see the draft picks have a run around and we did see the top three draft picks all play so Charlie Rowbottom played for the Suns, Georgie Presbarkas as you mentioned then played for the Cats and Charlie Thomas played for the Eagles and all three played really well. It's interesting with the AFLW that we don't have to wait to see our number one draft picks turn up on match day they pretty much get a game as opposed to in the men's competition. I loved seeing Nina Morrison out there again. I think it's such a shame when we see injuries and I'm devastated that Ellie McKenzie is going to miss some time at the Tigers because the competition's best when we've got all of the good players playing. Yeah, especially with Daisy having rehabbed and be and she's back and she's fit and she's fierce and she's ready to roll. Nicole, I've got a question for you. Given that you're the... <laughs> writer and you know everything about grammar we now have two press barkers <laughs> in the competition collective noun is it a press barker <laughs> a, a, a press bar kim uh no <laughs> no i think you have to do you have to do the es at the end press oh no way there's got to be something better than that no, press would be correct i i imagine and you have an es you actually have to add an e in order to make okay. it work right. which is just very confusing throw in an apostrophe and we're all in all kinds of trouble I feel like they potentially will <laughs> still vote off each other and we'll see this unreal vote count where we don't know, you know, there's that moment where Gil holds it and says, M, Presbarkus, <laughs> G, Presbarkus. I'd be just be the proudest parents in the world. Okay, so I want to talk about something that has caught my eye that is very footy that I feel like we've been a little blinded on because every time we have a conversation about coaching the conversation is often the gender inequality in coaching with the fact that there are just no female coaches in the AFLW system as we speak as head coaches this season we will see four new coaches in the AFLW in Dan Lowther Nick Del Santo Cameron Joyce and Michael Pryor at West Coast West Coast is on to having their third coach in three seasons and it got me thinking what is the story here the turnover of coaches in the AFLW just seems to be epic while I understand that there is the conversation happening about pathways for women coaches and that is not a conversation that we're ever going to stop talking about well only until it's equal or until it's fair but I think that there's an issue with conditions for coaches in the AFLW because there is just this epic turnover and when people are sitting there and I always I do think about the armchair trolls taking pot shots at the competition or at how good the competition is it frustrates me that Part of that story is how do you get continuity and how do you get consistency across your playing group 
when the coach is turning over every season, you, you end up playing with someone else's list. You don't have rapport. You're restarting. Everyone wants to start something new. No one really picks up where the last guy left off, do they? Like they all come in with their own new ideas and and fresh approaches. And I asked Gemma Bastiani, who is, of course, friend of the pod, Siren Sport, and you can actually read her on the AFLW website and hear her on the ABC this season. I asked her to crunch the stats for me, comparing teams that are in both the AFLM and the AFLW and comparing the turnover of coaches. She put all of those stats together and it was a combined 34 seasons of teams that are in both the M and the W. And what she learned and what she sent to us was that over 34 seasons in the M, coaches had turned over six times. In the women's, coaches had turned over 13 times. It just seems like an extraordinary amount of coaching turnover when you think about how important consistency is not just for, uh, you know, for building relationships and for game style and for list management, but also to draw people to be a destination club, to be able to say, this is what we stand for. These are our values. This is who we are. The coach is so important for that. And it made me wonder whether, firstly, the Coaches Association is going to have a job on their hand to really focus on the gen- on the pay gap for AFLW coaches. But also, I wonder what we will see this year if Melbourne and Brisbane being the only teams with no coaching changes over their entire time in the AFLW and both with incredibly stable lists, whether they are both poised to salute and if potentially we're onto something here that this kind of stability is actually the key to success. I think it's especially interesting when you actually factor in games rather than just seasons, you know, because you've got to half that again, how long yeah I whenever I look at an AFLM season I don't even really start thinking about predictions and long-term stuff until like round six after round I've seen you know I don't know how many times we've seen a, a team go undefeated for the first six rounds and then barely win another game for the rest that's what we're dealing with um you know in the AFLW we've got at this season we've got 10 home and away games and we've had fewer than that before so the idea of coaches you know being able to hit their strides they really barely get to do it before the finals are in and if you don't make the finals because you know you only it it is very difficult to make the finals when you've got such a truncated um, final system you're not getting the game time anything like the game time and so of course it's self it becomes self-perpetuating those teams that aren't going to do well they're not going to get the game time and as a result the it seems that the response is the coach turnover as well so because some of those coaching turnovers I don't think were voluntary or willing by those coaches Um, some of it might have been about money and not being paid properly but other times it's not been their choice and yet I don't think a football season in the AFLW well certainly doesn't equate as a measure of ability or accomplishment to the AFLM season one season or two seasons is not going to give you a really good sense of what a, a team can accomplish under one coach. Imagine the conversation we'd be having if every season their home ground was changed or their captain was changed. I feel like we don't notice it because, to be really honest, apart from Nick Del Santo, any of those other new coaches, they could stand up in my porridge and I wouldn't know who they were. I think one or two were assistant coaches last year. Um, But, yeah, there is not a strong body of experience, um, certainly with women's football. For the most part, uh, they're coming as new coaches completely or certainly new to women's 
the women's game. So yeah, it's, I don't know if that creates a more potential in those coaches or if it sets them up maybe not to do so well. So uh, there's a lot, there's a lot that still needs a second look, I think. It's interesting that instability is the outcome that we're talking about, but I wonder how much instability is actually the cause of the the turnover. And again, we come back to systems and, and how difficult it is if it's part-time to find a job that then sits alongside a coaching job that might only go for a certain number of weeks each year. And Another issue that I think there's a team that I feel kind of heartbroken and sorry for because they haven't made necessarily the kind of hay that they would have wanted to is GWS. The story coming out of Sydney Swans with them getting their AFLW licence and coming in at the end of this year. Can you believe we're having two AFLW seasons in one year? All our Christmases. (laughs) Uh, The Sydney Swans have got an unprecedented number of members already signed up for their AFLW team. They don't even have a team on the park yet. I can't help but think that GWS is really going to have their work cut out for them when Sydney comes into the competition and they've been so close for so long. There's been so many slight moments in time, lightning strikes here and a flood there, the travel that they've had to do. I feel like they've had a really great playing group. They've had great leadership. They have had a fair bit of stability. I don't think Alan McConnell was their coach in the first season. They've had a fair bit of stability, but they just haven't saluted and they just haven't come on as quickly as I think they probably needed to, to be able to corner that market for New South Wales. I'm really feeling for them. I feel like every interaction we have for GWS has been absolutely outstanding. They're incredibly professional, but there's going to be quite the juggernaut when Sydney Swans come in, Lou. I agree. And I just wanted to raise something that we saw on Instagram. So Alyssa, to the outer sanctum who goes by the name of chewy underscore boot on instagram has put together a really interesting 2020 to AFLW list age breakdown graphic and when you look at that you it's just glaring how much older the GWS list is they have so many more players over the age of 34 and you know quite a a small number of the players in that 18 to 21 age bracket so I think when you say, have they failed to really capitalise and make hay while the sun was shining, Em, I, I, I think you might be right. I think Jess Dalpos is a big loss to GWS. I am looking forward to seeing her rejoin her Falcon, Darabin Falcon teammates at Carlton, but I think she will be missed. Yeah, and the fridge also, I still feel like there's a huge loss there. Alicia Eva carries a lot on her shoulders. They also lost Phoebe who went to Geelong. Mm. You, you just need to be really mindful of what it might look like when Sydney comes into the competition and they don't. What we've seen with Geelong is they re- try to recruit from down on the surf coast because they can't afford to have so many people relocating so the talent pool for players in in New South Wales I think all those GWS girls their names will definitely be floating around on a whiteboard in Centennial Park or wherever no where is it Moore Park you know the names of all the GWS girls who have standout seasons will definitely be floating around on a whiteboard in Moore Park I, I would imagine for for the Bloods. I think this season will be tricky for them too. I mean, we're, we're not far behind Sydney, but the, the COVID um, situation in New South Wales is particularly harrowing at the moment and particularly troubling. So uh, they already have already had one case, but, you know, the, their efforts to protect themselves, they're, they're going to have to just work double time to, to achieve that. And I really hope they get through without the impact of COVID, as with all the teams. 
Well, it's it's exciting that season six is the last season before we see the entry of four more teams. So we will now have by season seven in December of this year, we will have a full complement of AFLW teams for every club. I think that actually puts a bit of a fire under all of these teams that are playing this season to make the most of it. Because even in states like Victoria that do have potentially a bigger pool to pull from. You've also got more clubs that are are looking for players. But I think for teams like Adelaide, it's going to be really interesting that it's their last season without competition from Port. So I'm just looking forward to everybody making the most of it. Do you know what I'm not looking forward to? And this is so embedded so deep in my heart, is I have loved my journey supporting the Carlton AFLW team. I have loved it and I am not ready to break up with them. And I know that I have to. I'm getting teary talking about it. It's so embarrassing. Yeah. But this is something that's real for many of us. How are you guys going to do it? How are you going to break up with the D's and how are you going to break (laughs) up with Brisbane or are we just going to have a piece on the side? Are you crying? (laughs) No, but it's it's real. I feel like I'm at that point in a relationship where I know I've got a job (laughs) that's going to move me overseas in 11 months. Goodbye, my lover. Goodbye, my friend. (laughs) I'm just going to approach it like an open marriage. And there we have the name of the pod. (laughs) (laughs) All right, are you ready for some final business before we wrap this up and get out of here? Uh, There's been some lovely things that we've seen in the off-season. We've already alluded to the epic AFLW promo that we just loved. I felt like they got the tone so beautifully right. But, Lucy, there was a few other notable mentions. Yes, we really loved hearing from players Darcy Vessio and Tori Groves Little who have clarified what their pronouns are. I love that they have felt confident and able to do this. Once again it gives us in this AFLW space a chance to have a conversation that is about really educating people and Tori said I'm not here to have a dig. I'm here to educate. And I think that is the the way that I would really hope that people take that information. It's brave and it's courageous, but it's so generous. It's so above and beyond generous to allow us to have this conversation through their experience. We've never seen anything like this in football before. And I love the way that it will have flow-on effects. It will affect the M competition, but mostly I loved hearing from people who support the Outer Sanctum about what it meant to them and how seen they felt. I really think at the end of the day, without wanting to sound like Brene Brown, people just want to be seen. And that's what I feel like these, these players have done. It's kind of extraordinary too. I know we get caught up in the negativity of social media, but if you think about if this had happened five years ago, I just think that the response has been overwhelmingly positive. I don't doubt there has not, you know, it's not 100%, but I think the tide has turned so dramatically and I think we need to nod to that, like acknowledge that there's been enormous change and a lot of that is about these extraordinary athletes stepping forward, these people we admire stepping forward and 
very bravely um, and yeah as you say am generously sharing uh, their own experience and sharing their identity and giving power to others especially children or other people who are feeling oppressed or that they don't have that choice to be open about who they are I think it's just done so much what it's extraordinary in terms of what we've accomplished over the years and and you know there's plenty more to come but well done them and, and thank you. There's an authenticity about the AFLW competition that really does reflect back what I see in my community and who is is sitting in the outer and who is watching the game and I love that. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing that we loved seeing was the AFLW collateral that they put out with uh, social posts and they put the names of where all the games are going to be played. They're using the traditional country names, their Aboriginal names or their First Nations names to mark that moment, to mark which land the games are being played on. I think that's a conversation that should be being had everywhere. I love that the AFL just did it. There was no song and dance about it. We noticed it and just want to say we saw it, we clocked it, we loved it. We're going to embrace it. I think it just shows, it demonstrates the the genesis of this um, conversation that footy can that footy can have and the community that it can speak to. It's probably time for us to get out of here. We are so happy to be back. Footy's back. Yay. Footy is back. And I have, have you just loved hearing mainstream media say footy, footy is back. back? They're not getting it wrong. I'm like, oh, Yay. brilliant. For all intents and purposes, there will be a ball bounced on Friday night in Frankston and uh, some cracking games to roll out in the weekend ahead. There are changes being made to the schedule. A, a few came through yesterday. We're just going to say, make sure you've downloaded the app and make sure you check the news before you head off there. Stay safe, look after each other, and there's only one thing left for us to say. It is... Go Woody! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.